Uh, welcome back to church tonight. I'm so glad to see you. We want to welcome our online friends that are here tonight as well. Thank you uh, for being with us. And tonight, I'd like for us to begin uh, with a premise, if we might. And the premise would simply be this, that you have a consistent prayer life already in place. Now, that may or may not be an accurate premise, but let's begin there. And if you say, you know what, that's just a little bit of a rub for me, and I'm not there, and I'd like to be there, but I'm not there yet, then let me just try to write on the front end of this message, challenge you to do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so huge and helpful in your spiritual life if you have a daily time, a daily quiet time, a daily commitment that you made, just you and God getting along, shutting out all the noises, all the distractions, and just having that time with God. Well, let's say that that is already in place in your life. It's indicative of who you are as a person. And then I think we all would uh, sort of realize that even though we have a consistent prayer life, uh, that it's quite easy to fall into patterns and habits with our prayers. And this happened to me a number of years ago. In fact, it was about 25 plus years ago. Uh, I just found myself, and maybe you've been there, maybe you're a little bit there right now. I just found myself that I had this consistent time with God but I had been praying similar prayers virtually every day, and I developed this ability, and I use that term loosely, ability, that I could actually pray and have that consistent time with God every time. But because I already was in this prayer pattern kind of uh, reality, I could also, because I'd prayed it so many times, I could also work on a couple of situations in my mind while I was doing this prayer. I just knew it that well. I prayed it so many times, so often, it just became a familiar pattern to me. And so I would find myself praying, having this time with God, but I already knew, for the most part, what I was going to say, and um, I could be thinking about some other things, working on some other things. Does that make sense to anybody here? If it does, wave your hand a little bit like this. So uh, again, for me, and it wasn't like God was angry or frustrated with me, it's like God challenged me. And I just felt this, whether it was God saying it this directly or not, or whether I was just feeling it because I was familiar with it, uh, that there were those in the New Testament that Jesus would talk to that they would pray with vain repetition. Have you ever seen that phrase in the Bible? Just pray with repetition, just like I was doing, just praying. And if you ask me, do you have your consistent time with God every single day? I'd say, yes, Absolutely. But it was just, it was so, so much of a pattern that I could mentally check out of it even while I was praying. So uh, around that time, I felt another challenge. And it's just, and not everybody's uh, wired this way, and not everybody should do it this way. How many of you know there's more than one way to pray? How many of you know that? If somebody tells you this is the only way to pray, that just makes me nervous because there's a lot of different ways to study the Bible, and there's a lot of different ways to pray. So for me, it was a discipline that I started over 25 years ago that I continue to this day where to just stay mentally engaged in my time with God. I developed the habit of writing out my prayers and really thinking about what I was writing out. And so a lot of days I'll take out a legal pad, take out about, uh, generally speaking, I know this is too technical, but 28 lines generally or 27 lines generally is going to be on a legal pad. I'll divide it into four sections, and there's things where you've heard the acts acrostic, and I'll do adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. So I started doing that, but it's been helpful for me because it keeps me mentally focused on the prayer that I'm writing out. What am I talking to God? What am I praising God for? What kind of sins am I confessing? What am I thanking God for doing in my life? What am I asking God to do in my life? Because I feel like once I praise God and confess sin and, and uh, thank God for things that He's already doing in my life, then I'm positioned to where I can ask God to intervene in some 
areas of my life. So those are all good things. So let's begin with that premise that you have, whether it's similar to how I uh, spend my time with God or it's the way that you have found that works best for you in your time with God. And I want us to take that and I want us to set it aside just for a few moments because what I want to do is challenge you tonight to just expand that a little bit and we're going to look into the Scriptures together and what we're going to see, and I'm going to challenge you, and for some of you it's going to be like, oh man, I'm not really doing this that often, but I need to do it, and it's going to be a challenge, and you may feel a little pinch in that regard, and, and that's okay because we all need that. But I want us to focus on some risky prayers, some risky prayers that are actually found in the Bible, and as time permits, I want to try to get to, uh, let's say, four of them. That's going to be my goal, to get to four of them in the next few moments that we have together. So let's dive right in. Don't want to take a lot of time there. Here's the first one. It's a, it's a, it's a risky prayer. And if you're not praying this kind of prayer, I would encourage you to add it to the way that you're already praying. And you already see it on the screen here. It is a risky prayer because we're asking God to search us. Search me, God. In essence, here's, God, what I'm asking you to do. God, I'm asking you to take a really good look at my life. Even though it's going to be painful, if you really look at my life the way that my life ought to be examined, God, I want you to just sort of turn up the bright lights of your holiness upon my life and see if there is anything that is in my life that should not be there. A risky prayer it is a search me kind of prayer, and we get this from David. This is a prayer that David prayed, and I want you to look at it here on the screen. This is what he said, Psalm 139. What does he say? Uh, read these first two words, these highlighted words with me. What does he say? Search me. Search me, O God, and know my… Test me and know my anxious. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. It is a risky kind of prayer. It is a search me kind of prayer. Let's take a moment and consider the background of this prayer because you see it, maybe you're like, okay, well, what was going on? What kind of life engagement was he involved in that this was a prayer that he needed to pray? And David, when he's praying this prayer, it's like he's beginning, he's like, God, this is what I know. When I consider who you are, when I consider your attributes, when I consider your characteristics, as I ponder what your nature is, God, this is what I know. I know that you know everything. God, there's nothing you do not know. Every detail, everywhere, God, you know exactly what is going on in the world. You know exactly what is going on in my life personally. You know everything, God, and you certainly know every minute detail of my life. And you are not just, it's like David saying, but you're not just an omniscient. You're not just an all-knowing kind of God. You're also an omnipresent kind of God. You're an every where present kind of God. You not only know what is going on in the world, you not only know what is going on in my life, uh, you, you know what is happening within me with the context of who I am every single day. And further, as I think about you, I realize that you're also an omnipotent, you're an all-powerful God. In fact, as David reflected upon the Scriptures, he'd say, God, I consider this, that you made everything, you made everything out, out of nothing. You started with nothing. Everything you have brought into existence 
and God, you have made me. In fact, David could say, God, when I consider your creative ability, this is what I know. You created the world, but you also created me, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So David here is thinking about God. He's thinking, again, his nature, attributes, characteristics. He's thinking about God. And then his thoughts, there's a transition, and I want you to see the transition here. There's a transition because now he's been thinking about God, and and at this point, he's going to consider that God, this is really neat how this plays out, that God is thinking about him. Look right here on the screen. He said, how precious to me are your thoughts. Now, he's, David's not talking about his thoughts toward God. He's thinking about God's thoughts toward him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Now, time out. If you go back, and maybe you'll take this as just sort of a little homework assignment this week, If you go back and you keep reading through this psalm, all of a sudden, there is another transition. And it is a massive transition in David's thinking and also in his words. It is not on the screen, but I want to read to you two verses that are part, or a portion of those verses that are part of this same psalm. In verse 19, again, he's been thinking about God, about God's ways, about God's character, nature, attributes. He's been thinking about God. He steps back, and then he considers God's thoughts about him. But here comes another transition, and it is bold, and it is bright, and it is shifting gears in a huge way. In verse 19, he sort of goes on pause, what he's been thinking about and doing, and now he says, listen to what he says. He says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Where'd that come from? God, if you'd just slay the wicked. Uh, Two verses later, verse 21, he said, and this is so uh, out of the norm for David, really. And you're like, when you see it, you're like, oh man, where in the world is he coming from with this? Verse 21, he says, I hate those who hate you. Now you read that and you think, Whoa, David, man, where are you going with this? Where does this come from? You've been, you've been talking about how that you're thinking about God, how powerful a God is, and you've been thinking about God's thoughts towards you, and then out of nowhere, and again, it's an unusual response for David. It's like David is saying, God, you know everything. You created everything. You're able to do everything. You're a loving, everywhere, present God. So how is it that rebels can shake their fists and curse your name, a God that is great, as great as you are? It's like David is saying, it makes me angry, God. It makes me angry. I get mad when I think. And again, it's strong language. And a lot of times there's things in the Bible that we like to pretend is not in the Bible, but it's actually in the Bible, and we want to pretend it's not because it makes us uncomfortable. And David's like, if only you'd just slay the wicked. God, just kill them. Just wipe them out. I hate those people that hate you. And David's gone on this rant, and he's like, how can this happen? It makes me angry that they can resist uh, an incredible love an unconditional love that you have for them. God, I don't understand. It's like David is saying, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, God, while I'm on this rant, I want you to know that I despise them for it. It's unique what's playing out, isn't it, Psalm 139? 
God, here's what I'm thinking about you. Here's what I think that you think about me. And now I'm thinking about people who don't respond to you in the way that I think that they ought to respond to you. And God, just so you know, I hate the very ones that hate you. They make me angry. Spit fire mad. And he just goes on this tirade. But now comes another dramatic shift that leads us to the fir, uh, two verses which we began with. Where, and you saw them on the screen a moment ago. It's like he, he comes to this place, and we just read it, where he says, all right, I'm thinking about all this. I'm considering all this. Yeah, God, it makes me angry the way that people respond or don't respond to you. But then he says, here's what I need to do. And that's when he says, a risky prayer. Search me, O God. What is David saying? David is saying, maybe there's some rebellion in my life, God. Maybe there's a little bit of fish shaking going on in my life. Maybe there's something going on inside of me that you're not pleased with. Maybe, God, you know how I'm going off and thinking about, you know, I despise the people and they ought to respond to you and they reject your love. Maybe, God, I need to stop thinking about them and I need to come back and need to just open myself up to this reality. In fact, God, this is what I pray in this moment. Here I go. God, search me. Look at me. God, what's in my heart? God, what's in my mind? How many of you already know this, that God knows what is in our heart 24-7? God knows what is in our mind all the time. It's not like we can say, man, I sure hope that God doesn't know what I'm thinking right now. I hope he doesn't figure that out because if God only knew what I was thinking right now, I would be in such massive trouble. And David just says, no, 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 I need to shift back. Search me, oh God. Maybe there's something going on in my life. Maybe there's something going on in me, God, not them, but in me that you're not pleased with. Maybe, God, I've got some judgmental thoughts going on in my mind. Maybe in my heart there's lust. Maybe there's a little bit of steep self-righteousness occurring in me. Maybe I have some bitter resentment. Maybe I'm talking about I don't like the fact that they don't respond to your love, but God, maybe I don't love the way that I'm supposed to love. Maybe I'm impatient. And friends, I just want to say before we move on to the second risky kind of prayer that you and I, not a single one of us in this sanctuary tonight are immune to this. We look at someone who is obviously rebelling against God, and we've all done it. We look at somebody that's rebelling against God. We know somebody that is living an immoral lifestyle. We hear about somebody that acts out in a way that is nothing less than grade A sin, that we become agitated about it. Maybe we even jump on a judgmental bandwagon and we're silently enjoying the ride until all of a sudden we have to slam on the brakes and we have to stop and say, enough, enough, enough. Search me, God. It's a risky prayer. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. God, evaluate where I'm at. Look at my heart. God, I just stand open before you and and David just comes back to that, and it's, again, it's an incredibly risky prayer. God, here's what I'm asking you to do. I don't need to be focusing on everybody else because I've got enough trouble of my own. How many of you, that made sense to you? God, I don't, I don't have time to worry about everybody else's business. I've got a problem with the person I look at in the mirror every single day. That's who's giving me my biggest struggle. So, God, I'm asking you to search me. I want you to know my heart. I want you to know my thoughts. And I just have to ask you before we move on, 
When's the last time, in addition to what you're already doing, already working for you, already that words in your personality and nature and how you best connect with God in consistent prayer, but when is the last time that you have prayed a search me kind of prayer? May I give you a warning on the front edge? If you do, you need to get ready because God may show you something painful in your life or my life. Search me prayer. How many of you would agree it's a risky, risky prayer? Ready for another one? Here's another one. Risky all day long. Here it is. Break me. God, break me. Listen to the B part. In fact, you not only can listen to it, you can see it right up here on the screen. It's the B part of Ecclesiastes 3.3. And this is what it says, and I'll get you to read these four words that are highlighted with me. There is a time to tear down. And there is a time to build up. There are some things that need to be torn down in our life. Thinking about this not long ago, they tore down the elementary school that I went to as a kid. No problem. I didn't learn anything there anyhow. Uh, You know, I'd like to believe it was their problem. I got a feeling it was my problem. I can remember uh, in first grade, I remember this like it happened just yesterday. My teacher, I can remember what she looked like. I can remember the room that I was in. Her name was Mrs. Duncan, and I was in the first grade, and I can remember I loved my favorite subject was recess. And I loved it when we went out on the playground, but at recess, you know, all the real work just went way too long, and the recess went way too fast. So I remember this time, got into major trouble for it. And I can remember one day I just had this thought. I can see the playground. It just sort of was level. The ground was level out from where our our classrooms were. The ground just went straight out. It was level. And then there was a sloping bank that went down to like a big uh, softball, baseball kind of field. So I just had this thought. Obviously, it wasn't God, but I had this thought one day. Here's what I'm going to do. When Mrs. Duncan calls for all of us to get in our little single-file line to go back in to do the real work, here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm getting tired of standing in line for the monkey bars and the swings and all this other stuff. I'd love to have this playground all to myself. And so I had this ingenious thought when she lines us all up, I'm going to run, lay on the slope. She'll never see me. And she didn't. And I I just let the playground clear. And I thought, here it is. Thank you, Jesus. The playground is mine to be had. I just had a wonderful extended recess. It was incredible. And then it just hit me. Oh, man, I, I, don't, I didn't wear a wristwatch, but I'm like, I, I've, been, I've been out here a long time. I'm not sure how long because I was having so much fun. And I thought, oh, man, I am in such major trouble. I'm in such major trouble. I am going to try to sneak into class. How many of you know this is not going well already? And so I just sort of went as quietly as I could down the hallway, and the door was already open, and I just sort of, I'm five years old. I started first grade when I was five. I just sort of peeked into the classroom. I see all my classmates. Mrs. Duncan is nowhere to be found. And I'm thinking, home free. Jesus has made provision. He has parted the Red Sea. I'm going right to my desk. And I walked in, had a little smile, and I felt the door, the wind from the door, and then I heard the door slam right behind me. How many of you are old enough that you went to, the, you went to school in the days when they could still beat you in school? 
and man, she gave me a paddling that I remember to this day. And I hate telling you this, but this is going to be helpful for some of you parents. That was the beginning. I've got a paddling in first grade, and I got at least one paddling every year, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way through 11th grade. It was only my senior year in high school that I did not get a paddling. And I want to encourage you in this regard. If your kid is always getting in trouble at school, there's hope for you. They're going to turn out to be a pastor one day. Isn't that great? They're going to be a pastor one day. And so they tore my school down. How many of you remember when there was macaroni grill uh, on, on the south side? How many of you remember macaroni grill? And what did they do to it? They tore it down, and they built something in its place. What did they build? Olive Garden. How many of you remember, remember when right over, I guess it would be here, when there was a bookstore, and they tore it down? And what did they put in its place? Chick-fil-A. And when that happened, I knew there was a God. I knew it. I'm like, yes, there is a God. But there are things that have to be torn down. There's things that have to be broken. Most of you have discovered by now that when you become serious about full devotion to Jesus, then there's going to be some new patterns. It's really important. This is a break me kind of prayer. It's risky. Not everybody wants to pray it, but there's going to have to be some new patterns that are going to be developed in your life and mine, and there's going to have to be some old patterns that are going to have to be torn down. Paul went on and typified the language when he said, and let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the course that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You, you remember when he also says, and let us put on the new person, the new self that is made in the likeness of Jesus. There's some things in our life, and it's all a part of a risky kind of break me prayer when we say, Jesus, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to break me. There's some things in my life that need to be torn down. There's some things in my life that need to be broken. If you're a church person, if you grew up in church and you've read the Bible uh, through, you know that in the New Testament, there's this woman, it's a famous story in the Bible, caught in the very act of adultery. They drag her to Jesus, these religious leaders do. They throw her down in the dirt right in front of Jesus, and they want Jesus to condemn her, to embarrass her. Jesus' response to this woman is this, I don't want to condemn you. I really don't. I actually want to forgive you. And we know that part of the story, but sometimes we forget the next portion that Jesus adds. He says then, I want you to go and sin no more. What is Jesus saying to her? I want you to break the pattern. There's some things that need to be torn down in your life. And Jesus wasn't judging her. He had an opportunity, but he didn't. He chose to forgive her. But he has a word for her. I want you to go now. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But I want you to go, and I want you to leave behind your life of sin. There's some things in your life that need to be broken, and if they're not broken, Jesus is saying, they're going to destroy you, and they're going to hurt the people around you. On another occasion, Jesus has dinner with a business guy who's been ripping people off. He is a tax collector. You know his name if you're a church person. His name is Zacchaeus. And after he has this dramatic encounter with Jesus over dinner, he has an announcement to make. He says, Zacchaeus came, comes away from that encounter with Jesus, and he says, I have a, an announcement to make. I am breaking the old patterns that have been customary in my life. I'm done with that. 
turning over a new leaf. There's some things. I'm choosing today to become a follower of Jesus. I'm praying a break me kind of prayer, and I know it's risky, but I'm turning my life over to Jesus, and there's some things that need to be broken in my life. In fact, look at the language that he uses. This is Luke 19. He said, here and now. This is huge. This is massive. I want you to think about it just in terms of dollar value. He said, here and now, I give half of my possessions. I'm taking my net worth, and I'm cutting that in half. I'm giving 50% of it away. I'm giving it to the poor. That's pretty dramatic. Would you agree with that? God is breaking him. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, how many of you know he has? And they know he has. And he knows he has. But he says this, if I've cheated them out of anything, this is amazing to me. I will pay back, not dollar for dollar. I will pay back four times the amount. All throughout the Bible, we're reminded that there are some patterns that we need to take on in our life, and there's some patterns that need to be torn down. There's some things that need to be broken in our life, and it always begins with this kind of prayer. And it's risky, and it's not easy, and you may choose to not even pray this prayer because what it may mean to your life, but it is a break-me kind of prayer. And so I ask, what is it in your life? What is it in my life? that needs to be broken, that we need to set down, lay down, walk away from? What needs to be broken in our life? Thirdly, here's another risky prayer. It's stretch me. It's a stretch me prayer. It's risky because it's praying. If you're praying this kind of prayer, you are. If you're praying a stretch me kind of prayer, you're declaring that you are no longer satisfied with the status quo that you want to get out of whatever spiritual rut you are at in your life. And there's a, a, a biblical example of this for us, obviously, as well. There's another guy in the New Testament uh, that I'm going to share with you. His name is Nicodemus. And again, if you're a church person, you know a little bit about this guy. He's a leader in, in a particular religious group called the Pharisees. And Nicodemus has heard that Jesus teaches that there is a different way to get to heaven. Nicodemus is like, Jesus has a different message, and I'm not, I'm not in tune with that message. It's different than the one that I've grown up hearing and believing all of my life, and that bothered Nicodemus a whole lot. And so one night, he slides off and uh, into the darkness, and he approaches Jesus. He wants to do it privately. He doesn't want to call any attention to what's going to happen. And, and this is what he does. He finds Jesus, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, here's the reality for my life. This is what I believe. This is how I was raised. This is what I've heard. This is how I was taught. This is what I believe, but you teach a different message. I want, and this is it. You got to catch this now. I want you, Jesus, to stretch my spiritual understanding. And Jesus does. And Jesus, in fact, lets Nicodemus know that it is a good thing that he has prayed a stretch me kind of prayer. Otherwise, Jesus would say to Nicodemus, you might have missed heaven because, Nicodemus, this is what you've got to understand. It is not going to be your words, and it's not going to be your good deeds that's going to get you into heaven. You're not going to stand before my father one day, and he just sort of weigh out all the good stuff you've done in your life and the bad stuff, and you're going to hope that the good stuff tips the scale, and somehow you make it into heaven, even if you make it by the skin of your teeth. Jesus is saying, no, no, you You've got it all wrong. And Jesus talked to him about repentance. I'm sure that Jesus laid out for him what grace and forgiveness means, that you have to be. And we know that Jesus uses this language with Nicodemus. He looks him straight in the eyes and he says, you want me to, you want me to stretch your spiritual understanding? Then that's exactly what I'm going to do, Nicodemus. 
Here's what I want you to know. Whatever you've heard, whatever you've grown up believing, whatever your theological base is, this is what you must know. And I'm glad you're praying it, but you got to know this, Nicodemus. You must be born again. You've got to be born again. You have to receive the free gift of salvation. And I never like to make assumptions. That's always... That's always a, a not-so-good thing to do to make assumptions. And so it would be quite easy for me, even tonight, to say, all right, this is not Sunday morning, and uh, this is Sunday night. Uh, like the re- really serious-minded Christians come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night, things like that. So there's nobody here. There's no way that, you know, anybody that happens to be watching online right now, the fact that they've taken the time to watch online means that they're in right standing with God. But this is what I want to be clear to those of you who are watching online and those of you that are in this sanctuary right now, our words, our good deeds are not going to get us into heaven. What's going to get us into heaven is on the basis of what Jesus did for us, and we need to repent of sin. We need to receive the grace and forgiveness of God and be born again. That's the only way to get into heaven. It's not seven ways, or we'd teach all seven ways. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and you don't get into heaven. And he says it to Nicodemus, except through me. Stretch me, Nicodemus says. And Jesus said, all right. Nicodemus, it's good that you prayed that kind of prayer because maybe you would have missed heaven because you thought it was an entirely different way to get in. The early church also prayed a stretch me prayer. The church was growing. The early church was growing, but it was doing so in the face of great opposition. I came across this not too long ago. I brought it with me tonight. I was doing some reading, and it says this, to be a Christian in the Roman Empire during that bloody era was to live in jeopardy every day. The tortures inflicted on these men of faith were despicable. Some Christians, listen to this now, this this actually happened, this is not fable, this is not a fiction. Some Christians were strapped on the rack, a wheel about two feet wide and eight feet tall, their ankles chained to the floor and wrists tied to the wheel. Every time the believer was asked to deny Christ and refuse, the rack was tightened until he was ripped limb from limb. Other Christians were thrown, and we know this, into boiling oil or mangled by hungry lions in the Colosseum. And the early church prayed a stretch-me kind of prayer. I want to challenge you, and this is going to sting a little bit for all of us, but I want to do it anyhow. Their prayers were not soft prayers. Their prayers were not weak, selfish, or shallow. They're going through everything that they're going through, which is much worse than anything that you and I have ever been through for the most part in all of our lives, and yet this is what they prayed. When they stood before God and they said, stretch me, God, you know what they were saying? God, give me the courage in the face of opposition to stand strong. They weren't even praying a David kind of Psalm 139 prayer. God, we're just so fed up. We hate those who hate us. They make us mad. They shake their fist in rebellion. They were just saying, God, in the midst of everything, the church was growing and expanded. It's a book of Acts kind of church, and it's moving forward, but it is in the face of great opposition. They prayed, God, give us the power to not fight back or retaliate. And every time I think about every time I think about what they went through and they stood strong for God, It makes me consider some of my own prayers. May I ask you a question tonight? Do you ever feel just a little bit goofy when you simply pray, oh, Lord, make me comfortable? God, make me popular. God, make me wealthy. 
God, the totality of my praying is going to be centered around this reality. I just want to be a happy person. And that's about as deep as it gets. It is a risky prayer to pray a stretch me kind of prayer. I've developed this little habit because how many of you know we all can feel sorry for ourselves from time to time? Do you ever do that? You ever feel sorry for yourself? Like, woe is me, my situation, or, or you become down about something, something's going wrong in your life, something's going wrong at work, something's going wrong in your finances or some domain of your life, and you just get a little bit down about it, and life is getting really tough. Anytime I walk through anything that smacks of anything similar to that, you know what I start doing? I've just trained my mind to start thinking about my brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted in many countries around the world today, not in ancient times, but today, my brothers and sisters in Christ who really have it rough, and it just sort of sorts out my perspective. How many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? I want you to look at the statement that Tertullian once made. Look at what he said. He said, go on, rack, torture, grind us to powder. Our numbers increase in proportion as you mow us down. The blood of Christians is their harvest seed. That is not an easy life. And so I challenge you, and I told you it was going to be a little bit challenging, but I think it's a good prayer. It's risky. It's risky. I'll just give you that. But maybe we would take the ordinary way that we typically pray, as we all do, and we'd start bringing into it a stretch me kind of prayer. And it would go beyond, God, I just want you to bless me, take care of me, take care of my family, and, and that be the depth of our praying. Search me, David said. Break me. Stretch us. This is what we pray. I want to mention one more risky prayer and then we're done. It's a use me prayer. And I'll hurry with this one. Many of you need to strongly consider praying this prayer. Lord, here I am. I'm available to you. Use me. Lord, here I am. Hook me up with somebody in need. Lord, help me to find my place in a kingdom cause. And we talk about grow track, and we talk about grow track, and we talk about grow track all the time, but it's so important. Listen, when you became, when I became a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches this, that the Holy Spirit immediately deposited into our lives spiritual gifts. And when God gave to us spiritual gifts, He fully intended that we would use these spiritual gifts, not so that we'd sit around, stand around the water cooler and say, hey, what are your spiritual gifts? These are mine. What are you doing with them? Nothing, but I've got them. Use me, God. When you save me, you gave me spiritual gifts. Grow track helps you to understand that. How do I use the gifts that God has given me in an ongoing ministry that's going to advance kingdom purposes? Because my life, you know, is about more than just making a living, having a house, having a car, having a family, and living a tidy kind of life that I need to do something with the one and only life that God has given to me. So, God, here I am. Hook me up with a kingdom cause. And I'm telling you, friends, there's just no feeling. Wish I had a lot more time to talk about this one, but I'm out of time. But there's no feeling, no joy, no rush like the one you experience when you step out and God uses you to meet a, meet a need, to touch a life. You walk away from an encounter like that, and you just say, oh, man, that is so God. Have you ever had this experience? I've had it so many times when I've walked away from an from a experience that I had, and I walk away, and as soon as I walk away, I'm just sort of saying to myself, that was so God, that was so God, that was so God, because I knew I could have never done that in my own strength or in my own wisdom or intellect or cleverness. It's like God just put me at the right place at the right time, and I'm just so glad that I took advantage of it that was all God. God used me. And God, thank you. And I'm here and I'm available. The Bible tells us that God never stops watching what is going on in the earth. I mentioned to you earlier this phrase. It's not found in the Bible, but it's this idea. It's part of the nature of God, that God is omniscient, means God knows everything that is going on. He's an all-knowing God. That's what David was reflecting on. 
And it's true. The Bible tells us he never stops watching what is going on here on earth. And there's never a need that does not catch his attention. And once his eyes lock onto a need, this is what God does. And it leads us to that use me kind of prayer that all of us need to pray. He then looks for somebody who will step up and say, here I am, God. Use me. I'm available. These are risky kind of prayers. I don't know if you want to pray them or not, to be quite honest. Because it's going to take you to a different place where it's not just what's going on around me and look at what they're doing and what this person's doing. And, and uh, no, search me, oh God. I got enough trouble on my hands with me. Search me, God. Look at my heart. Look at my thoughts. Search me. See if there's anything in my life that's not. It's a risky prayer. The prayer break me. God, there's some things in my life that need to be torn down. There's some things that I've been carrying, and I know I'm a Christian, and I just keep carrying it around in my life. Help me to set it down and walk away from it once and for all. God, stretch me. Stretch my spiritual understanding. Help me to not just look in the domain that has always been familiar to me, but God, take my mind beyond where it's been before and help me to start seeing things way you see them. And God, when I do, here I am. Use me. Use me. Is there somebody that needs something? God, use me. I just want to be your hands, your feet extended. I want the love of God to be manifested in my life. God, I'm here. I'm available. I don't know what you want to do with my life, but line me up with a kingdom cause so I can make a difference in my life that when I get to the end of my life, I will know that I've given you my very best. It's risky praying, isn't it? But all of us can pray. Will you stand with me tonight? God, thank you so much. God, all of us need to be challenged because it's just easy to slide into a rut, spiritually speaking even. But God, I know that the people that are part of Victory Church are wonderful, wonderful people who want to be all in with you people who don't want to just go through the motions, people who don't want to just say one thing and do something and uh, communicate one thing that they are and live their life so separately from that, God. Here we are, and we pray. It is so risky, but God, search us. Search us. Look at us, God. Look at our thoughts. Look at our heart. God, break us. Help us lay down some things in our life that are not pleasing to you. God, stretch us. Stretch us. Expand our spiritual understanding. Here we are, God, and use us. We're available to you. And God, help us to take encouragement and hope from the early Christians who, in the face of great opposition, prayed these radicalized prayers like, God, help me to stand strong in the face. Help me not to retaliate when that would be the normal reflex for any person. God, in the moments when it would be so easy to feel sorry for ourselves, and we know that we have real-life problems, we do not deny that, but God, that we would understand that you've given us so much and you're so good to us, God. And you blessed us in ways that none of us deserve. And we stand not because of our good deeds or words, but we stand in the realm of your grace that has been extended to us because of the cross. And as a result of that, we say, here we are, God, use us, use us. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. So use us tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. So this is the kind of message, kind of talk, that's sort of a take-home kind of talk, and you've got to determine what you're going to do with it. You can never pray these prayers if you, if you choose to do so. But I'm challenging you. I'm beckoning you. I'm urging you 
to start incorporating these prayers into your life. And I believe spiritually speaking, it will take you to a whole different place. Don't you? Thank you for being so attentive tonight. We're going to open the altars now. And whatever your need is, whatever you need God to do in your life, in your family, in your job, I want you as the worship team leads us to just come. Maybe it's you need to be anointed with oil because you're sick. And we believe the prayer of faith heals the sick, raises up. So altars are open. As they begin to sing, you come. Give us an opportunity to pray with you around these altars. And then I'll come back and do the benediction. Anything 
moment I'm going to pray the benediction and we'll make our way out of here. The worship team will continue to lead for a few moments. But just before I pray, I just felt the Lord quickening something in my heart a few moments ago. And, and I don't know who this is for, or how many this is for, but I was thinking about it while the worship team was leading us. And it's like God is saying, there's some people you need to let them know this reality. Some of you are standing here tonight and you're saying, man, I would so love to be used by God, but God can't use me because of my past. God can use these, and you can look around and say, I see how God could use them and them and them and them. But my story is a different story, and God couldn't use me. I've got a verse for you tonight. Paul said, if any man, woman, person be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. When God wipes the slate clean, he does it well. He gives us a brand new start. And so don't allow the enemy to convince you of a lie. Jesus has made you available to be used by him, and he'll do it. He'll do it. So don't look at your past. Look at your future and say, here I am. God, I know where I came from, but here's where I'm at today. God, use me. I'm available. So, Father, thank you for this great night. Thank you for this great day. Be with your people. Give us an incredible week. Bring us all back to this place on Wednesday night. I pray that your hand will go with us. And thank you, God, that you love us enough to cause us to become what you want us to be. In Jesus' name. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you Wednesday.